Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. For all the conversations we have about the border, probably nothing creates more visceral reaction than a conversation about the wall. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com as we finish up Border Week here, presented by Americans for Prosperity, AmericansforProsperity.org. The wall brings about emotion. Trump, he's just uh, a xenophobe, and and, and the wall, uh, they'll just climb right over it. The wall serves a purpose, and Border Patrol has been trying to explain this. It's not so much about keeping people out in so many places around the country. The wall is well within the U.S. border. People who have crossed are already here. It's about being able to apprehend and letting Border Patrol do their job. Jordan Fischetti is an immigration policy fellow with Americans for Prosperity, and this is the question I put to him first. What is the wall? The wall is like, as you said, it's a system of barriers, right? There's not one complete wall from sea to shining sea. I mean, I know Trump said he wanted that, but we didn't come anywhere near that. What it is is a different system of barriers with a lot of gaps in between. And like you said, it's a fence. It's not a wall. Because with a fence, you can look through, see what the smugglers, cartel members are doing on the other side. With a wall, you don't have that kind of uh, vision. You don't have that kind of intelligence. And the purpose of a wall is not to stop everybody. It will stop some people, but it will divert others to areas where it's easier for Border Patrol to apprehend them. And with still others that insist on either going above, under, or through a wall, it gives Border Patrol time to apprehend them. And in like a city where people can quickly disappear into the, uh, sorry, in a city where people can quickly blend into the population or near a highway where they can quickly disappear into the interior of the country, seconds count, right? And where seconds count of a wall can stop you for a few minutes, better yet a parallel system of a wall, that could be the difference between one of the 1.7 million gotaways we've seen since Biden took office and an apprehension. So let's let's break it down just a, a little bit further. That the wall's purpose, while it can physically stop people from entering the country, the purpose is to slow them down. Border Patrol knows this and approves of this. Absolutely. Uh, As one Border Patrol agent uh, said in a video I was watching yesterday, you could build a 100-foot wall. Somebody will come up with a 100-foot ladder. But that's not the point. A wall is just one piece of the border security puzzle. You also need personnel. Obviously, a wall has never apprehended anybody. I mean, maybe they're working on a smart wall right now with robot arms that I don't know about, maybe. But you need people for the time being. You need people to actually apprehend them. And you also need technology. Because one thing that happens is that smugglers will cut through the wall. That has happened, unfortunately, thousands of times. But that is not an argument against the wall. Because again, a wall does not stand alone. And that's the problem we've seen. We've seen a false debate on this. On one hand, you decide that says a wall will keep everybody out. On the other hand, you have people that say, well, people can get through or over a wall. Walls are ineffective. That is not the point. A wall is just one part of the security apparatus. You need personnel, but you also need technology. So if there is a bridge in the wall, you can have a sensor or a video camera that detects where that occurred, Border Patrol can go and fix that so that many people then do not come and exploit that gap. Talking to you, Jordan Fischetti of Americans for Prosperity about 
what the wall is and how it works. The technology piece. What about the technology of the wall it, itself and, and, and how we build this a, as a fence so we can see through it? And and it, it, it does. It, it, it's good reasoning here. You want to see who's coming. Yeah. You build a, 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 a full flush wall. You don't get to see who's on the other side without the technology. So you get the same value and much less cost. Well, absolutely. Because obviously poles are going to be less costly than a complete wall. I mean, look, you think of the wall of China, right? Like, I think that's what Trump was thinking of. It looks impressive, but it was surmounted many times. It's a lot more effective for officers to be able to see through, but it's also much more effective when it comes with technology. That's something that Chief Clem often talks about. So when Biden terminated the wall contracts when he took office, right? It wasn't just a wall. It was a wall with sensors, with video cameras, with access roads. A lot of the sectors along the border lack navigable roads. So it makes it much more difficult for Border Patrol to see what's actually going on along the border. So when I think when Biden terminated those contracts, it wasn't just the wall, right? It was a whole host of, like I said, of a security apparatus. Wall, you know, it's technology. It, it's it's interesting when you talk about uh, the the border itself. People forget that there are areas. Yuma sector. You talk about uh, former Border Patrol uh, chief, uh, sector chief uh, uh, Clem, Chris Clem, uh, and then you've got, for example, McAllen, Texas, where your border is the Rio Grande, which is this unbelievably winding uh, bit of of border. And there are times Mexico is north of the United States, which I've experienced. It's a very weird. Weird feeling because of how uh, the, the river goes and it juts in. The wall is already on the U.S. side. And so before we get into the technology piece, it's again a reminder that for the people who think that the wall is the is just going to keep everybody out, the wall in a lot of parts of Texas, in those of Brownsville and, and, and moving its way up, those people are already in the United States. We haven't solved our problem with the wall. What we're doing is, as you described it, apprehending people before they're able to disappear into the country and not be found. That's precisely right. I mean, you could literally build a fence right on the coast of the Rio Grande, but you would still be in America because once you hit the middle of that river, you're already in America. And when you're in America, you can apply for asylum as long as you have a credible fear, though they've not been doing credible fear interviews anymore, but that's a whole nother discussion. But because of flooding, you can't build a fence there. See, a lot of times you build a fence a couple hundred feet or up to even a mile from the wall. By that point, they're well inside of America. And the purpose, like I said, is to slow people down. And it's to slow people down that either want to escape or are told by coyotes that this is what they need to do, right? There's a lot of people that just give themselves up to Border Patrol. And we don't often discuss that. But when we went down to the border, we went three times to McAllen, another time to Yuma, Arizona. Each time Border Patrol told us, they're spending most of their time with give-ups, people who will literally just walk up to Border Patrol, sometimes wait for them in the bed of their trucks. So they come back from an eight-hour shift and they see a whole family in the bed of their truck. And what happens there is that that diverts them from actually apprehending people at the border. So when that happens, you're not going to get the personnel to apprehend the ball crossers because 80% of them are 
processing asylum seekers. And so this is where that, that other part of the conversation comes in, as you're talking about the technology that came with the wall, talking to Jordan Fischetti of Americans for Prosperity, the cameras and, and other things. Was it just about the sensors, the areas where you're not going to have a wall at all because it's too barren, it's too much uh, wasteland? Somebody would have to travel a very long distance to be able to cross in some of those New Mexico kind of places, parts of uh, eastern, southeastern uh, Arizona, very difficult to get to. Is that the technology piece that has also been eliminated by the canceling of these contracts by President Biden? So... The technology that was contract that was canceled by the contracts was where the wall was going to go, and it wasn't going to go necessarily at all of these locations. Um, but you do need technology in those remote areas, right? A wall doesn't make sense. So Border Patrol will talk about three different impact zones. There's the high impact, which is like an urban area where people can quickly disappear in seconds. Then there's rural areas where it might take them minutes or hours, and then there's remote areas where it might take them days. So in rural areas and especially remote areas, if it's already going to take you hours or days to reach the nearest highway or the nearest city, a wall that slows you down by 10 minutes is not a good investment. Technology like drones, sensors, cameras, that's what we need to figure out where they are so then Border Patrol can come and actually make an apprehension. So, so speaking why, about technology, so go on. No, I was going to ask, why is this the impossible subject? The conversation we just had about what a wall does, what a wall doesn't do, the technology that accompanies a wall, not every place needs a wall. A lot of people never get to hear this conversation. All we hear is walls bad or walls good, right? Depending on someone's political ideology, and that's it. It makes sense in, in every rational way if the objective is to slow people down and be able to apprehend them and then find out their status so we can move forward about whether or not they should be in the country. It would seem to. To, to observers, that to not want to do that is to not want to get that information. Maybe I'm wrong. What's the hang-up on moving forward with this level of border protection? I think the hang-up is um, in Congress is politics as usual, but also just among the general population. Um, I can tell you this, uh, a lot of my friends, family are left of center, right? And they've heard me talk about a border wall and they've come up to me and they said, that makes a lot of sense. I think we should have a wall in strategic locations. But I didn't like a wall before because I associated it with Trump or people like Trump. So I think the issue was that people associated border wall with the rest of Trump's policies, which especially if you're left of center, you're generally speaking not going to like. So they weren't open to hearing it at all. Because as soon as they heard border wall, they just imagined the whole bevy of, in their mind, right, bad policy. So I think that when people are willing to have these discussions, right, and break it down, show the false choice, right, expose it. It's not a wall across the whole border or no wall at all. A wall in and of itself is not a terrible thing, especially when you're combining it with legal pathways, right? We don't want people to hurt themselves on the wall. That is not what we want. We want the wall to keep the bad people out, right? Or to slow them down. We want legal pathways for these people that are coming and giving themselves up. But we're not talk we're not having a conversation regarding just an uh, a quasi-open border. As long as you come in through these places, you're definitely allowed in the country. We are talking about background checks. We are talking about. Have, having a standard. Uh, the policy is is 
uh, on the wall is to be able to slow people down to know who's coming into the country. But there are a series of policies that we need to get into behind that. Uh, surely, I don't think you're advocating for a quasi-open border situation. Not one bit. Not one bit. And the problem that we've seen is that when people talk about illegal migration, right, they just assume that, like, that's all that people can do, right? They kind of throw them at their hands up and they say, well, this is just going to happen. It doesn't have to be this way, right? It's not humane for anybody. I mean, except for the smugglers and the cartels, right? But these, these are people who, look, there's always going to be bad people crossing the border. And that's why you want border patrols to protect us from those people, right? But for everybody else, we need to expand the legal pathways, right? And not just for permanent migration. A big misconception that people on both sides of the aisle have is that everybody who comes here, comes here and they want to stay permanently. That's what we're getting right now, because once you've already taken this dangerous crossing, risk through life, paid tens of thousands of dollars, you're not going back, right? But what you used to have is you'd have people that would come seasonally. They'd come to work, they'd go back home. Come to work, go back home. We have programs that allow you to do that, like the H-2A, H-2B program. But I'm sure, as Sam has told you much more eloquently than I could, those programs are mired in so much bureaucracy that most farmers just throw up their hands or other businesses throw up their hands and say, I'm going to hire people who came illegally, which is another drive for people to come illegally. If we have a functioning legal system, right, both for permanent immigration and for seasonal migration, combined with a wall of strategic locations, sensors, cameras, access roads, what you'll have is a system where the majority of the people that are crossing the border are people that either want to do us harm or have existing deportation orders. And those who want to come to do good will have a channel to come here. Not everybody. There's no such thing as a perfect system, right? Even if we had the best legal immigration system, there are still going to be people that need to escape from their country, like Venezuela, for instance. It's very difficult to wait around in Venezuela for your papers, even if it was a good system, which it's not. But our system is so terrible right now, both from the Border Patrol perspective and the legal immigration perspective, that if we don't do something soon about it, this is going to become, I mean, it already is overwhelming, but it's just going to get worse. And that's the point. It's its going to get worse. And, and, and again, I, I would state as clear as day, you know, the... the our responsibility is not to say everybody uh, welcome. A, a, our question is, what is a smart policy for us that also happens to help others? But I, I, I do phrase it in that way. What's a smart policy for the nation, for the United States, that which is a anything that involves our safety and security, and then is also helpful because we, we forget there is a worker need. I, I mean, that, that goes without saying. I mean, we talk about the fact that there are, you know, millions of jobs uh, available in the United States. Well, those are all sorts of jobs, but there are jobs out there, especially in those farming communities, in those agricultural communities. When we talk about jobs other people don't want to do, that there's a truism uh, to this. And there is a value, a serious economic uh, input output to the United States to having these legal opportunities. Absolutely. I mean, we have one of the worst worker shortages that we've seen uh, in decades, really. And if you look, I'm going to go back to the example of farms. 
American farmers are just, they're struggling to find Americans that want to do the job. And that's been the way for decades at this point. There was a uh, survey from, I think, 2012, uh, where the North Carolina Growers Association, I think that was their name, um, they um, tried to fill 7,000 positions, right, for H-2A visas. That's the agricultural laborers. At first, you have to open the position to American workers. Of the 7,000 positions they wanted to fill, 143. Just 143 actually signed up to do it from America, and only 12 actually stayed until the end. That's. I mean, that, I mean it, 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 it speaks volumes. It does. And I think it shows like two things. Not only do we have a shortage, right, uh, where we need to make it easier for those farmers to hire um, migrant labor, but this is a shortage that's not taking jobs away from Americans because Americans, simply speaking, don't want to do it. Uh, when we were in Yuma, Arizona, we spoke to a, a big farmer there, a guy named Phil Townsend. Uh, he was first he was talking about how difficult it is to hire people in the H-2A program. And then I asked him, I was like, well, why don't you just hire Americans? And he just laughed. He goes, no American, no American says, when I'm an adult, I want to pick lettuce. And it's just, it's so true. We need this labor. But unfortunately, one thing that's not being discussed is that Biden is hamstringing American small businesses. He recently, his administration recently passed a regulation that would triple the paperwork, add tens of thousands of dollars to an already expensive bureaucratic process of hiring somebody for just a season. And then they're proposing another regulation, which will almost certainly go into effect, that will allow labor organizations access to work sites for up to 10 hours a month. They can come unannounced. They must get all of the employees' contact information, including email, phone numbers, and employers will know whether or not they want to enter into collective bargaining association. And they can say no, right? But then that information is available to the labor organizations. And if they can go on to the work site for up to 10 hours, talk with all of the workers, and there's something like 200 rules that farmers need to follow. Oh, and now they need to follow also local state rules, which are also, I don't know how many exactly it would be, depends on the state. You think those labor orgs are not going to find something, right, that they can report back to the government? So you drown these people in regulation, and then you make it easier for the unionization to happen. This is no way to treat a country or the border. Jordan Fischetti, Americans for Prosperity, I appreciate you taking the time. More is coming up. Find everything at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz today. So yesterday it was all about the Fed saying we're not going to have any rate hikes and we might bring rates down three different times in 2024. And the market went absolutely nutty. And now the market's taking a look at statements from John Williams, who's the president of the Federal Reserve of New York, saying that rate cuts are not a topic of discussion at the moment for the central bank. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. And that's why, you know, today, are you going to see a big up in the market? will be slightly down. Look, it's been up for weeks now. Slightly down is, is okay. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Guys, the Fed is going to be so quiet about rate cuts. If they come in 2024, three of them, three quarters of a point altogether, that would be huge. But the idea that the Fed's going to talk about it and talk about it, make everybody feel good about it every second of the day, that's crazy town crazy town 
One step at a time, people. And don't believe anything until you see it. Certainly don't bet on it. That's my advice. Not that you should take advice from me uh, when it comes to the markets. This is Tony Katz today. Now, I know what you're saying, Tony. You can't talk to me about polls when you're a guy who talks about the polling and says, I don't believe the polling. When we take a look at presidential polling and I see Trump ahead by 50, I say, okay, I got all these polls that say he's ahead by 50. I'm willing to accept that that's what the polls say. I'm waiting to see what Iowa tells me. Is every Do the polls relate to how people have to show up to vote, especially in a caucus state? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. It doesn't mean that when I see something that I don't go, well, that's a story. And one of the bigger polling stories that came out the other day from the Heartland Institute in conjunction with Rasmussen Reports states that one in five, that's 20% for those of you playing the home game, one in five voters who cast mail-in ballots during the 2020 presidential election admit to participating in at least one kind of voter fraud. That number is criminally insane. Jim Lakely joins me right now. He is the vice president and director of communications for the Heartland Institute. Heartland.org, you were saying to me before we we, we, we got on, that this is, this is the biggest poll you've ever done. This might be the biggest thing that Rasmussen has ever done. No one can even comprehend the numbers. So I want you to take it, take me through it. What made you put this poll into the field and what did the data tell you? Well, uh, Tony, it's an honor to be on with you and to be able to speak with your audience. But, you know, we we kicked the idea for this poll around, you know, uh, because we're not allowed to talk about having any qualms or any, any questions about the results and the way the 2020 election was executed by uh, states across the country. So we thought, you know, what if we asked people if they did X or Y or Z, and if they mailed in their ballots, and if they didn't, did these sorts of things, what if we just asked them that? We don't, you don't ask people, hey, did you commit voter fraud? But you ask them, hey, did you happen to fill out a ballot in part or in full for a friend or a family member? Did, um, did you sign a ballot that wasn't uh, put somebody else's signature on a ballot that wasn't yours? Um, and so when you, you, you ask these questions, those things are voter fraud. That, that's a fraudulent vote that should not be counted, that should be thrown out. And what we, what we found was that if you ran down all of these different types of voter fraud, just, just you know, described very, I guess, innocently to people's minds, one in five mail-in voters did one of these illegal things to a ballot. It's shocking. I mean, we had no idea that we would get results like this back. We thought maybe, you know, if 5% or 10%, we, that's kind of where we were guessing the range would be. So what this shows is what everybody kind of knows in their gut, that the 2020 election was not on the up and up, that throwing out um, all election rules, mailing everybody a ballot, having no structures in place to make sure that these ballots are legitimate, um, makes, makes the 2020 election very much in doubt i mean i think we actually don't know who really won the 2020 election you know maybe biden won maybe trump won but biden's in the white house and he got there because we threw out all election rules went to mail-in ballots when one in five of them and there's no way to track this of course it's, it's obviously too late but the purpose of setting up this 
this crazy way to elect a president because of COVID um, was used by the left to make sure that we had a very chaotic election system. And it turns out that one in five people who mailed in ballots admitted that they committed some sort of voter fraud. It's absolutely shocking. This should not be happening in America. So let me jump in with with a couple of things. First, I absolutely oppose mail-in balloting because it creates the opportunity for voter fraud. Second, I'll say here, and, and I'll argue it with anybody, Joe Biden is the president of the United States. This is not our debatable thing. What is the question is exactly how often do things like this happen and how could it not be obvious to everyone that by allowing the mail-in voting in the ways that we did under the guise of COVID, that you create these issues. You break down specifically what the issues are. You can find the reporting on this at heartland.org. Walk me through it, starting with the 21% of mail-in voters admitting they filled out a ballot for a friend or a family member. Right. I mean, we, we just asked here. I'm looking at the question right now at our poll. During the 2020 election, did a friend, family member, or organization, uh, oh no, I'm sorry, this is a different question. Um, did they offer you or, um, or a friend or a family member a reward or to pay you for voting? That, that, that's a question we asked, Tony. We thought, no one's going to admit to that. Well, <laughs> they did admit to that. Uh, 8% of, pe- of likely voters admitted that they were offered a reward for their vote. Again, this is, this is illegal. You, <laughs> that, that is a federal crime. You cannot do that. Um, you know, we asked if you have any friends or acquaintances who have also reported to you that they committed voter fraud. 10% of likely voters said that they did that. I mean, in fact, you know, when we say in the poll that the takeaway is that one in five mail-in votes um, were some sort of voter fraud, that's not even necessarily, uh, you know, the, the, the whole number because there is overlap on these things. Perhaps you did two or three of these items. Maybe you just did one. I mean, it's, you know, people that have that question, of course, you're not allowed to, our social media companies shut you down. They, they nuke your YouTube channel from space. If you talk, if you have any questions at all about the legitimacy of the 2020 election, our media um, doesn't report on it. Our, our government uh, assures us, Tony, that 2020 was the most secure election in history. I mean, the gaslighting for all of this was off the charts. And what it has done, it, it suppressed speech. People knew in their, a lot of people know in their guts that there was something fishy going on. But when there is enormous pressure from every aspect of society that you're not allowed to talk about it, despite the fact that Democrats have not considered any Republican for the last 23 years to be legitimately elected president, let's put that aside. But, you know, investigations, like say, say you see a security cam video of a van showing up at a, at a polling place in a swing state at three in, three in the morning and unloading all of these boxes. Say you see video of them closing the windows as they count the votes. Um, say you see a, a surveillance video of somebody stuffing a bunch of ballots into a, uh, into a drop box somewhere. You know, the left and the media could just wave that away and say, you have no idea what was going on there. You don't know what was in those boxes. You don't know that those votes weren't legitimate. But when you do a poll and you ask voters, if they have done this thing or this thing or this thing, which are all part, which are all um, voter fraud, and 20% of them said, yeah, I did that, that can't be denied. You can explain away or try to explain away um, any other, you know, quote unquote evidence that the election wasn't on the up and up. But you can't explain away, uh, explain away 
that one in five mail-in voters admit that they committed some sort of voter fraud. You can't make that go away. This is changing the conversation. You are, we're allowed to talk about this again, or at least we should be. Talking to Jim Lakely, Vice President and Director of Communications for the Heartland Institute, heartland.org. The number that jumps out, because the, the part where I, I am in wholehearted agreement is that there are people out there who tell you you can't even bring these things up. I believe you can bring anything up if you've got data to go with it. Here's the one that jumped out at me, Jim. 17% mm-hmm. of mail-in voters, according to your polling, said they signed a ballot for a friend or family member with or without mm-hmm. his or her permission. The other right. things, some people could actually want to explain away, oh, they were helping a friend, it's fine, it's harmless. As a matter of fact, how often does that happen? They're helping a family member who's infirmed, they're not really 100% and in, in getting to the, to the post office, all those kinds of things. This one, to me, was the one who, that, that jumped out, uh, as well as uh, helping people vote in a state where they were no longer a permanent resident. That's fraud. Um, signing a ballot without someone's permission that is an yeah. admission of, of guilt and uh, of, of illegality, period, full stop. Right. That, that's, that's the, but yeah, 17% said they voted in a state where they're no longer a permanent resident. That's a pretty clear violation of election law. But yeah, signing a ballot without somebody's permission, full stop, very clear voter fraud. And 17% of uh, mail-in voters said that they, did, that they had done that. I mean, this is, this is, I mean, obviously it's too late. You can't go back. We can't fix the 2020 election. But I really hope that uh, legis- state legislators and, you know, election law is a state-by-state deal. I hope they are watching, they've paid attention to this poll. We have an election coming up in 11 months. There are a lot of loose laws in states, especially swing states across this country. State legislatures, and it would have to be run by Republicans, because Democrats will not do this. All these systems were invented by Democrats. A Republican legislature in a swing state must take action this year to fix, to fix it so that as much of this fraud cannot happen. This, you don't have an election if, if this sorts of thing go on. You have something else. We don't have a democracy or a representative republic when our elections are completely chaotic and rife for fraud. And this is what plays into the conversation, Jim, about banana republic type feel what actually has happened to the country have we lost it i am opposed to mail-in balloting because it creates the opportunity for fraud and this data would would prove me right i have been saying this uh, for for years you did another poll this poll states that 47 percent of likely voters believe that trump is guilty of the alleged crimes to overturn the 2020 election well great they can think that but it doesn't matter 18, because you have to be found, uh, you know, guilty. And right now he's innocent until proven guilty. 18% of Democrat likely voters think Trump should be punished by jail for life, permanent exile, or death if found guilty. What the hell kind of poll is this, Jim? Well, that was another part. We wanted to, we wanted to gauge the public's uh, perceptions of Donald Trump's alleged crimes and what his punishment, punishment should be for it. Now, look, 47% of likely voters say they believe Trump is guilty of alleged crimes to overturn the 2020 election. Now, look, if I was asked, and I'm a Trump supporter, if I was asked, did Trump try to overturn the 2020 election, I would actually answer, yes, he did try. He was challenging the results legally and constitutionally. There's nothing wrong with that. 
In fact, they um, Democrats were trying to do the same thing when Trump won in 2016. Correct. But it's the idea that that I mean, I think it was four uh, percent of Democrats think Donald Trump should be executed, get the electric chair or lethal injection, or maybe just have to listen to uh, Hillary Clinton talk for two hours straight. That would probably kill him too. Uh, but put to death for challenging the uh, results of the 2020 election, which our own poll shows was very unusual at the very least, but obviously rife with actual voter fraud. And so, you know, this country, we all know this country has probably, it's just so divided where there's so much hate and vitriol pointed at, uh, at, at each side in this country. And it's gotten to the point where some people think the president should be killed, executed for questioning, for being quote unquote guilty of trying to quote unquote overturn the 2020 election. That's pretty dark, man. So when you when you assemble this data, and and I mean it it, it is the, these polls have exploded. People have been talking about them all, all across the, the the country. What what is the result? Right, you you've been making I think a, a very very fine argument that it allows for the conversation to take place because the conversation should always be allowed to take place. But is that the goal? Mm-hmm. Is that the purpose of the polling? Or is there something else that you would like to see that heartland.org would like to see build from this? Well, I mean, I think part of the reason we we did this poll was because we wanted to see, um, we, we kind of wanted to see if we could confirm what we knew in our gut, that the 2020 election was not on the up and up, that there was rampant fraud, and really, the only way to, to, to measure that with a poll was just to ask them. Ask them, if, did you do a mail-in ballot? Because 43% of votes in the 2020 election were mailed in. And most of those, um, and I think two-thirds of them or more, were for Biden voters. Most of the Trump voters in 2020 showed up on Election Day, as you should as a good American. You should take the time to physically you know, present yourself to a polling place and cast your vote, not this nonsense of mailing in votes. I'm 100 percent with you on that, Tony. But you know, and then the second uh, part of the poll um, was to kind of see, well, okay, I mean, all Democrats basically think Donald Trump is guilty of crimes against democracy and all that kind of nonsense. So, what do they think should happen to him? And um, we didn't even ask, just ask that, Tony. Um, I have bad news for you, my friend. You are also in very big trouble. In fact, I am right now, just by speaking on your radio show. Because 48% of likely voters say that media members who alleged election fraud should be criminally punished if Trump is also found guilty of those crimes. So this poll actually ended up being a kind of perpetual punishment machine. By just doing this poll, we are supposedly spreading the idea um, uh, (laughs) that the election was not on the up and up. And because of doing that, um, we should be punished as well. Um, And I don't think very many says Tony, that guys like you and me should be put to death, but um, a fine would be very much in order, or maybe a year or two in prison, just so we learn our lesson and to not talk about things that are not approved narratives from our uh, ruling class. Yeah, as you have it here in the polling, 48% of Democrat-likely voters believe media members who alleged election fraud should be banned from public speaking, receive prison time, or a combination of, of of both uh you mean if i even discussed it i i'm guilty because i believe that 100 percent of those 48 percent can kiss my ass i'm just saying that if they, if we're going to be doing some polling i i took the poll and uh, it, yeah. uh unanimous unanimous jim lakely is his name he is the vice president and director of communications 
for the Heartland Institute, heartland.org. Uh, you know, we joke, but some of these things are just, this, this is our society. This, this is dangerous stuff. We'll talk more about it. Jim Lakely, appreciate you taking the time. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz today. So we, we finish up this, this border week, and I appreciate everybody who, who was a part of it and was talking about it and sharing uh, the content. All the videos will be up at TonyCats.com and our Rumble channel, rumble.com slash TonyCats. The, the recognition of, of all of the pieces involved, but, but one of the, the, the main threads has to be remembered. Uh, border policy has to be of purpose and value to the United States, not against it. It cannot be a negative. It must be a positive where American people are safe and secure and American opportunities are are, uh, enhanced. These things have to be the baseline by which we build everything else. You cannot have safety as you learn that 10 IEDs, that's improvised explosive devices, were found at the U.S.-Mexico border border in a cartel gunfight. This from Fox News. Border Patrol warning agents to, quote, exercise extreme caution, unquote. The Mexican military seizing these 10 IEDs at the border. Our border is not something to be played with. It's now officially a war zone. And until we force members of Congress to do something, we will get nothing except more of this, which we cannot abide. Find everything at TonyCats.com. Monday, everyone. Take care.